Well, very little encourages me as much personally to sing with and to hear the people of God singing like you sang this morning. So church, thank you for singing to our great King. Sweet, sweet time together. So thank you for that. And let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. It's where we're going to be this morning, and you can find your place there. Jeremiah chapter 1 is where we're going to begin. And if you do not have a Bible, there's a paperback copy in front of you, and the seat in front of you, or the seat back. You can take that and use it, and then take that home with you if you don't have one. That'll be our gift to you. In Jeremiah chapter 1, you may be visiting, or maybe been out of town, or something like that, but we're going through the Bible this year together as a church, Genesis through Revelation, and we're reading through the Bible together. We're studying through God's Word in our study groups. We're talking about the Bible and our life groups together, and then coming in here on Sunday and taking a message from something you've read the previous week. So many of you may have read through the book of Jeremiah, or part of it, or I hope you have, this week and coming into this Sunday. So I've just got to tell you, if you have read it, you know that Just to be gut-level honest with you here, the book of Jeremiah is a heavy, tough book, right? It's tough stuff, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that as we're going to dig down into some stuff that's not easy to walk through, but I've got to also tell you that at the beginning of the year and really months before, we made a decision that we're going to walk through the Bible, we're going to study and read through the Bible as a church family, and the reason to do that was not so that we can get to the end of December and say, hey, I read through the Bible and get a badge. (laughs) That's not the goal. Our goal as a church and as individuals and as families is to know the God of the Bible. And listen, the whole Bible. (laughs) Not just the parts we think are cool or the little memory verses we've learned at some point, but the whole counsel of God. Because it's there that God most clearly reveals Himself in His written Word and in His living Word, the Son of God. So we're reading through the Bible, and there are parts that are tough. As God reveals parts of His character and who He is, and this morning trying to wrestle with the, with the whole thing of the justice of God is not easy stuff to wrestle through. So I thought of an illustration to maybe help us kind of get our minds around where we're going to be in Jeremiah in just a minute. But I want you to imagine for a second that you have the gift of time travel. You could go back in time, any, any time period or anywhere you want to go, but you've been given a particular assignment, and your assignment is to go back to April 14th, 1912, on board this boat. This boat. There we go. <laughs> And you're assigned to the Titanic. And you show up on the the deck of the Titanic, and it's the evening of the 14th, and the, the passengers are getting on the boat, and they're coming up the ramp, and they're carrying their luggage, and you're watching families and husbands and wives and kids, and they're all excited. And you alone, on the boat, know what's going to happen in about 12 hours on the Titanic that it doesn't go well. And as people are coming up on the deck and they're coming up on the ramps and their faces are smiling and the captain's there and he's talking about what a great cruise they're going to have and everybody's saying it's so good and everything's great. You know everything's not great. 
And with everything in you, you realize that you've been put on the deck of that Titanic and your mission is to cry, trouble is coming, disaster is coming, get off the boat. (laughs) Get off the boat. Problem is, nobody, nobody listens to your message. Nobody. In fact, every time you say something, somebody else comes behind you and says, do not listen to that guy. Everything's okay. Everything's not okay. In fact, it's not that they just don't want to listen to your message. You really become annoying. (laughs) I mean, they're trying to eat their meals, and they're trying to go in their rooms, and you're falling. I mean, you're knocking on the door, and they're, they're enjoying their vacation. You're saying, get off the boat. Disaster is coming, and no one listens to your message. Well, that's Jeremiah. Jeremiah received an assignment from God to be dropped down into, if you will, the city or the nation of Judah, the city of Jerusalem in particular, and to proclaim a message, watch this, for 50 years. That judgment is coming. Disaster is coming. And every time he would make a statement or every time he would preach, there would be others, even the priests of the day would come around him and say, Oh no, don't listen to that guy. Everything's okay. Everything's good. Peace, peace. And Jeremiah says, and there was no peace. Because the nation of Judah had rebelled against the Lord their God and judgment was coming. Jeremiah has the unwanted... (laughs) very difficult task of proclaiming this message to the people of Judah. It was a heavy task. It was a dire message. Listen, there's not a lot of kids' stories taken out of the book of Jeremiah. (laughs) You're not going to go to your children's Bible and open up a lot of pictures about Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a heavy, like a minor, minor key, a minor chord in a song. It's a heavy note in the Bible, but that's why we as followers of Christ are committed to not just parts of the Bible, the whole book, right? So what does Jeremiah have for us this morning? I'll just kind of give you a glimpse to the end. Don't turn there. I'm just going to tell you chapter 52 ends. There's 52 chapters, and you say, we're going to cover them all this morning. No, it's okay. Rest easy. I'm going to try to summarize the book as best we can, but chapter 52 ends with the city of Jerusalem under siege, and the city of Jerusalem falls to the nation of Babylon. Babylon, the great nation to the north, most powerful country in the world at this time, have overthrown the Assyrians. They're coming south. They're coming toward Judah and Jerusalem. They've sieged the city of Jerusalem now for three to four to five years. They've starved out the people. And by the end of the book of Jeremiah, the city falls. The walls are torn down. The temple is destroyed. Many are killed. Those who are not killed are carried off into exile. Guys like Daniel, guys like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taken out of Judah and carried off into Babylon. Jeremiah had predicted that this was going to happen for 50 years. Now, the annihilation that came on the city of Jerusalem and the people of Judah, watch this, is not because they didn't have good military technique. It was not because they had a poor defense system per se. Babylon is coming. And this this is one of the tough things about Jeremiah. Babylon is coming. Judah will be decimated. Exiles will be carried into captivity because God decreed it to happen. 
why we read the whole Bible. And we want to know the God of the whole Bible. What are you, what are you talking about, Pastor Mike? What does this mean? This nation of Judah called by his name, entrusted to be a light to the nations. They were entrusted with his word. They were called to be, this again, this missionary nation. They had drifted so far from God, he had to act in judgment and discipline, and he uses the nation of Babylon to do it. And for 50 years, Jeremiah has the unenviable task of saying judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. And listen, nobody listened to his message. Nobody. How would you like that assignment? So for us, what we're going to try to do is try to explore this person of Jeremiah a little bit and his message and then say, what does this have for us here 2,600 years later in East Tennessee. So I'm going to ask three questions about this book quickly. Number one, who was Jeremiah? What was his message to Judah? And then, God, what is your message this morning to us? Okay? So go ahead and turn to uh, Jeremiah 1. If you haven't already, we're going to look first at Jeremiah's call. Who was this dude, Jeremiah? I believe if you spend some time in the book of Jeremiah and you get to know this prophet, you will absolutely fall in love with this guy. We know more about Jeremiah than we know of any Old Testament prophet. He, in modern vernacular, he's a real transparent guy. I mean, he wears his emotions out on his sleeve. He's very honest with God. He's very honest about the situation. And you've and you got to just love the heart of Jeremiah. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, it tells you the time in which he served, the time that he's the mouthpiece for God. He serves under five kings, beginning in Josiah, ending with Zedekiah. He serves during that time. And then you see, beginning in verse 4, that's where we'll start, Jeremiah has a very clear call from God on his life. I mean, he's going to be assigned to something that is, you don't want to be doing. There were not a lot of people lined up. There were not a lot of applications that came in for this position. God calls out Jeremiah for this role. Verse 4, here's what it says. Now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah speaking, saying, God says, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now stop right there. We could spend weeks in verse 5, right? God says, I want you to understand, Jeremiah, something that you don't even know right now. Before you were ever even conceived in your mother's womb, the word is, I knew you. In the Hebrew, that has an idea of not some pre-conception existence or not of reincarnation or something silly like that. It's the idea that in the sovereign mind and plan of God, He had a predetermined plan and purpose for Jeremiah before Jeremiah was ever even born. Because Jeremiah, the assignment that you're going to receive is so heavy. It is so difficult. You have to understand, Jeremiah, you didn't stumble into this. You didn't draw the short straw. Jeremiah, you have this call on your life from God Almighty. Jeremiah, that began before you were ever even born. Child of God, if you know Christ, you have a call on your life that was determined before you were ever even conceived and born. Read the book of Ephesians. Read your Bible. God has a sovereign plan for your life. Going through this verse, I mean, there's so much here. He says, I formed you in the womb. This word formed is a beautiful word. It means with his plan in mind, God 
intricately oversaw the shaping and the fashioning and the molding of this human being in the womb of his mother. God's hand was on every part from conception to when he was born. You say, does this inform the way we view life? You better believe it informs the way we view life. You say, where do we get our worldview as followers of Christ? How do we see with, how do we speak into these discussions that are going on in our culture about life? Listen, I'm begging you, you've got to get your worldview from the Word of God. God says, Jeremiah, at conception, I began to weave you and form you and shape you. Therefore, as followers of Christ who believe the Bible and the God of the Bible, all life has value. Right? It says, I formed you in the womb. If you want a little bit more on all that's going on in our culture with the abortion debate and all that's happening of how we, as followers of Christ, can celebrate life and I believe respond in a biblical way, I encourage you to read our elder letter this week. You can get that online and go to our website. It gives you some steps to maybe take of how can we defend life? Because we believe what the Bible says. Jeremiah, God says, I've appointed you. I have called you. The word appointed means I've given you an assignment. God wants Jeremiah to know without a doubt that he has been formed, fashioned, called, set apart for a purpose, an assignment that is given by God and planned before he was ever born. If you're here, you're a child of God. The same is true of you. It may not look like Jeremiah's assignment. Ephesians 2.10 says, You were created in Christ Jesus for good works that He created, that He formed, that He shaped before you were ever even born. The Bible goes on. Jeremiah had a clear call from God. Verse 6, Jeremiah says, Alas, Lord God. (laughs) Alas is a way of saying, Oh, no! (laughs) Really? This is your call on my life? Behold, God, I don't even know how to speak. I'm a young guy. He says, I'm a youth, and the word youth means probably in his early 20s. Like many of our students here, he see me very young. He says, "What? Well, I don't even know what I'm supposed to say. I don't even know where I'm supposed to go. And Jeremiah, like many of us, when faced with the call of God on his life, comes up with a ton of excuses, verse 7, but the Lord said to me, do not say I'm a youth. He knocks that argument away, because everywhere I send you, you'll go, and all that I command you, you're going to speak. Jeremiah, I'm going to put my very words in your mouth got it I got it and then he says something a little bit troubling in verse 8 he says God speaking to Jeremiah says Jeremiah do not be afraid of them for I'm with you to deliver you deliver is the idea of to save out or to rescue rescue from who ready people of God people of Judah Because they don't like Jeremiah, and they don't like Jeremiah's message, and they don't like the message from God. And Jeremiah, you know, don't kill the messenger. Well, they want to kill the messenger. Jeremiah takes this assignment from God, and for 50 years, he faithfully proclaims this message. He says, your heart has drifted so far from God. He says, you are like an immoral woman wandering from your husband. You're like unfaithful sons. And Jeremiah, he refers to them as a den of robbers. He says, it's like you're chasing what is empty, and you will become empty. And he speaks for God and says, I must act. Destruction is coming. And it is not a real happy message that everybody jumps up and down and says, Awesome, Jeremiah. Can you autograph my book? That's not the message. 
is how they respond. Not well. I'm not going to take time to read all these verses. You can look them up on your own as you read through the book of Jeremiah. How was he received? Well, Jeremiah 11 says he received death threats. Jeremiah, we'd rather you be dead than we have to listen to your ongoing babbling. He was put in isolation. He, he suffered chapter 15 with the sense that he was all alone. That the message and the mission God had given him, he seemed so alone. Verse ni- or chapter 19, he was put in stocks. Chapter 26, he was arrested. Chapter 37, he was imprisoned. Chapter 38, he was left to starve. Chapter 40, he was put in chains. Chapter 42 through 43, he was completely rejected by his people. You say, how did they receive the message? Not real well. Not real well. Say, is there another prophet from God who comes later that is rejected by his people? Yeah. Is there another prophet who comes later and weeps and mourns over his people and is rejected by the very people he comes to preach the message of salvation and even comes to save? Yeah. There is a second Jeremiah, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jeremiah is a picture of Christ. There were times in Jeremiah's ministry that he wanted to quit. I don't know that I'd ever spent a lot of time on this until this past week, but Jeremiah chapter 20, Jeremiah is so worn down and so beaten down by this ministry that he's been given. Chapter 20 verse 9 says, But if I say, I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name. Jeremiah says, I'm done talking. (laughs) I'm not going to continue saying these things. I can't continue with this mission. Lord, I've got to quit Is there anybody here who's ever attempted to serve God faithfully and there's moments and seasons you want to quit? And I would imagine there's a chorus of amens in the house. Because anything of value in God's kingdom, any assignment that God gives you that's worthwhile, you will face opposition and difficulty in this world. Right? You say, it feels like everything's against me because everything is against you. We're aliens and strangers passing through. Jeremiah was preaching a message that wasn't want to be heard. Nobody listened to his message. And there were times he wanted to quit. Then that same verse, 20, verse 9, he says, I wanted to quit. Then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. I cannot endure it. He says, God has put this message in my heart. I want to stop talking because I'm so frustrated, but I can't. There's a fire in my bones. Do you love that? fire in his bones there was a calling of God on his life listen when God calls you to something when God appoints you to something you didn't start it and you can't quit it God starts it and God finishes it and you need to know that in moments of frustration and fatigue whether it's parenting or raising a family or leading a godly business or pastoring or a missionary or a campus director whatever it is you can't stop what God started God, give us that fire in our heart that you've got to put there because sometimes, man, those coals get dim, (laughs) right? Jeremiah wanted to quit. There were times, but Jeremiah is a model of this. I'm going to give you a couple of life applications as we go along. The first one is this. We learn from Jeremiah this life application. Pursue faithfulness over success. Did you hear that? What do you think the cultural opinion or the society said about the success of Jeremiah. (laughs) Jeremiah, how many churches you started? Zero. 
Jeremiah, how many ministries have you begun? Zero. Jeremiah, how many books have you written? Well, I, there's this book about me. <laughs> Jeremiah, how many people have listened to your message? Zero. So I think that would be adequate to give you a big fat zero, Jeremiah. Unless we in the kingdom of God value faithfulness to God's word and to God's call and to God's assignment over what the world might call success. For 50 years he preaches a message and nobody listens. Here we are, 2,600 years after the fact, talking about this man Jeremiah because in God's eyes he was faithful. Pursue faithfulness over success. Verse 9. Then the Lord stretched out His hand and He touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. Verse 10, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build and to plant. Jeremiah realizes his message is not an easy one. And this is the third thing I saw about Jeremiah. He had a clear call from God. Jeremiah pursued faithfulness over success. And thirdly, Jeremiah's own message broke his heart. You see, you might picture Jeremiah as this typical picture that you, you, you have in your mind that Jeremiah stood on the street corner and he held up the signs that everyone's going to perish and he was this mean disgruntled guy Jeremiah was not that at all Jeremiah was a weeping prophet you know why because the message God had put it in his heart to deliver broke his heart and he had deep deep compassion for the people that he was called to proclaim this message. Jeremiah chapter 4 says, My soul, my soul, I'm in anguish. Oh, my heart, my heart is pounding in me. I cannot be silent because you have heard, Oh, my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. I know what's coming. I know the message I'm telling. And it breaks my heart to tell it. I don't see in your Bible what you see often of the proclaimers of truth reminding people of their judgment without compassion. Jeremiah never backed down from the truth, but he did it with a broken heart. Here's your life application number two. We speak truth from a broken heart. Those without Christ, everything is not okay. And it breaks our heart. D.L. Moody was the pastor of a church in Chicago for a long, long time. And the story of Moody is is Moody was a man who never backed down from truth. He never compromised. He preached grace. He preached the gospel. And he preached those without Christ will spend eternity in hell. You say that is cold and calculating. The story of D.L. Moody is D.L. Moody never stood and preached the judgment of God without tears flowing from his eyes as he preached We preach truth, but we speak from a broken heart. Second question, very quickly, and this will go quick and we'll be done. That's who Jeremiah was. Call of God, pursued faithfulness. The message he shared broke his own heart. Here's the next question is this, what was his message? And we've spent a lot of time on this, so I won't go into great detail about this, but really from chapter 2 all the way up through chapter 40, is the message of Jeremiah, now watch this, of why God is going to bring judgment on His people and God is completely justified in doing it. 
It's almost like a courtroom setting with a prosecuting attorney listing all the evidence and all the sin and all the wickedness that the nation of Judah has committed and presenting it before everyone in the courtroom. And when you get to the end of it, everyone in the courtroom agrees and says, you've got to do something and judge these people. That's the point. For 40 chapters, it goes on and on, and Jeremiah is holding out the reasons God is just in carrying out the judgment that he's going to carry out. So that's hard. Hang with me. He says, Israel was set apart, chapter 2. He says, Israel, I brought you to myself. God speaking as a groom does his bride. I rescued you out of Egypt. I carried you to your own land. I blessed you beyond any other nation. God reminds them of their immense blessings that they have received for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, 800 years, they've received the incredible blessings of God. And he says, you grew fat and sleek. Chapter 5, verse 27 and 28, what does that mean? That means the blessings of God did not break their heart and did not turn into a heart of gratitude before God. The blessings of God made them fat and made them apathetic. And it's like a film began to grow over their spiritual hearts, so to speak, and the things of God were no longer interesting or appealing to them, and their heart began to pursue everything else. The blessings of God became a snare to them because of their heart. They thought the blessings of God were all about them. (laughs) And their heart grew cold. He said, you grew fat, you grew sleek. Then he, he got on the leaders. He said, your leaders are corrupt. He said, your leaders, your prophets, they don't know me. They're prophesying lies. They rule by their own authority. They cry peace when there is no peace. They're just out for gain. They're not speaking truth. He says, you're like a wife who continually chases after false lovers. He says, you're like a piece of pottery, pottery in chapter 18. He says, it's like a, you know, a potter who has this wheel, and he's spinning this wheel, and he's forming this thing. And he says, it's as if the clay becomes spoiled in the hand of the potter. He says, that's what your life. Jeremiah 2 says something really disturbing. He says, uh, 2, 11, and 13, if you want to look at it, it'll be on the screen for you. He says, for my people have done two evils. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And that's this picture, not of a little trickle, of this mountain gushing spring, this endless fountain of life-giving water. He says, that's who I am, the Lord of hosts. But they've abandoned it in the fountain of living water, and they've dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water It's like abandoning this waterfall of living water and going out and digging a hole in the desert full of nasty, dirty water and animals fall down in it and carcasses die there and that's what you're drinking out of. When our heart begins to shift for other things, to other things, that's what it's like. It's idolatry. He says, that's the state of Israel. He says, this is heavy, this is hard, I know, hang with me. Chapter 5, he says, no one speaks truth. He says, as the Lord, he says that they're full of lies. He says they go around and they say, as the Lord lives. Meaning they had this little phrase that they would talk the spiritual talk. They would say the, the, the things that were religious people were supposed to say. But their hearts were far from him. They were stubborn and rebellious. The word of God had become a reproach. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to listen to it. The leaders were healing superficially. They poured out drink offerings to other gods, believing there was salvation in these other things. Lies prevailed. They proceed from evil to evil to evil. Chapter 9, verse 3, concludes and says, None of them even know me. 
And the progression gets worse and worse and worse. And you can see how over 600 years the nation had just grown foul and grown corrupt. Chapter, 30, uh, chapter 32, I'm going to read one last section and I'll be done. And we'll move on. Chapter 33, or chapter 32, verse 33 says, My people have turned their backs on me. They refuse to return. Even though I diligently taught them, they would not receive instruction or obey. They've set up their abominable idols in my temple. Now listen to this. They have built pagan shrines to Baal in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And this, if you haven't already been convinced that judgment is just, he says, and there in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, they sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech. The children of Israel had gotten so corrupt, they began to worship this false god Molech, and they would take their sons and daughters, their infant sons, and put them in the fire as an act of worship. That's what it says. God speaks and says, I had never commanded such a horrible thing. It had never even crossed my mind to command such a thing. What an incredible evil causing Judah to sin so greatly. And you're intended to hear that, and you're intended to gasp, and you're intended to say, judgment is just. God, do something. That's what you're supposed to do. And you're supposed to hear that. And this week I was wrestling with all this of a way to try to present this and try, try to pull some application out for us. And Lord, why is the book of Jeremiah here? What is the point? I don't even understand all this stuff. And we're going to wrestle with some of this stuff over the next couple of weeks. Like the new covenant and all that's in there. There's so much in the book of Jeremiah. But for me, I landed in chapter 5, verse 7, and I was reading this verse Friday morning in my own time with the Lord. And it's like, this is the point. This is why Jeremiah is here. Now hang with me. I'm going to read this, and it may not make any sense to you. So hang with me. We're going somewhere with this. So God asks a question. This is the question to be asked when you read the book of Jeremiah. God in the courtroom, if you will, this mountain of evidence up against his people. There's his covenant people that he loves. And he asked them the question. Back to the courtroom scene, chapter 5, verse 7. New American Standard Translation says, God speaking, why should I pardon you? Why should you be pardoned? Why should you be pardoned? In other words, for 40 chapters, I've laid out a case of why your sin and your iniquity is so great. And I am just. You have to remember, God loves you infinitely, but God is infinitely just. God will never compromise His justice. Ever. He can't. And the question is, why should I pardon you? The word pardon means to spare, to set free, to release from something. And you are intended to read the 40 chapters of Jeremiah, come to the question of why should God pardon the guilty, and say, God, you can't pardon the guilty. If you pardon the guilty, you won't be just. It won't be right. And you say, I don't know that I can get my mind around that. Hang with me. I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations. And then we're going to draw some application. How does God, the question of your Bible from Genesis to Revelation is not, how can a good God send someone to hell? The question of your Bible is this, how can a just, righteous, holy God forgive and yet still be just? How can God pardon the guilty? You say, well, he just does it. No, he doesn't. It doesn't work that way. Let me illustrate it for you. I'll give you two illustrations very quick. First one happened yesterday morning. 
So I'm, I'm driving, you know, parents, you know how it is when your son or your daughter has, has an early soccer game, 9 a.m. soccer game, right? I mean, you're supposed to be at the field by 15 minutes, 8.45. That means you got to get all the kids up, get them fed, get their shin guards on, get their cleats on, get the ball, get the bag. You pull out of the driveway, oh, I forgot my ball, I got to go back and get the ball, et cetera, et cetera. We're trying to get to Wing Deer Park by 8.45 a.m. Well, I was aggressively trying to get to Wing Deer Park by 8.45. My family's in the car, Joseph's back here, it's his game, and I determined I'm going to take a shortcut through Boone's Creek because I know there's this side road that I can be even more aggressive to get us there on time. And I'm driving down the side road, and I pass an officer of the law. (laughs) And my family got to experience what it looks like to have these flashing lights come up behind your vehicle. And we pulled over, and it's going through my mind. All this, and now we're really going to be late. We're not going to get there. It's his first game. And I, I used to be a coach. I hate for players to show up late. I, anyway, et cetera, et cetera. And this police officer comes up to the car, and he's very respectful. And he's very kind. He does his job. And in my mind, from the minute he gets out of the car to the moment he comes up, I'm trying to come up with a reason why he should let me go. But it's my son, soccer. I'm a good guy. I'm a pastor. <laughs> I didn't pull that card. Wouldn't have worked anyway. No. So he pulls up to the car and he says, do you know what you were doing? I said, I think I was going a little fast. He said, yeah, we're going 15 to 30. Hey, back off. And you know, you know what my defense was? I didn't have one. I didn't have one. I was guilty. I broke the law. So he takes my license, takes my registration. Thank God I have my wallet. And he goes back to his car and he starts filling out his paperwork. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm guilty. I, ha- I have no... He comes back up to the window. Now hang on, hang with me. We're going somewhere with this. He writes his note and he hands it to me. I've got it in my wallet. He said, take this home and frame it. I said, okay, whatever you want me to do. Sounded a little weird. And at the bottom of it, it says, do not pay. He said, this is a warning. Don't let this happen again. (laughs) Now watch this. You said, that's awesome. Pastor Mike, you broke the law. Yeah, (laughs) hang on. And he let you go. He said, that's awesome. How did he have the right to pardon me? Hang on. He didn't. He didn't. He said, it's a, the traffic ticket. No big deal. He's still just. He's still a good guy. Hang on. What if I'm a murderer? Get, get more emotional. What if I'm a child molester? And I'm in the courtroom, and the evidence is stacked against me. I'm guilty. And the judge, with all the evidence against me, looks down at me and says, hey, we're going to let you go this time. And winks, and I go out of the courtroom. Everyone in the courtroom, including you, stands to your feet and says, no, that is what? Unjust. You can't wink at sin. God can't wink at sin. He builds a case here for 40 chapters and says... Why should I pardon you? And the answer is, you shouldn't. 
say, what's the point? <laughs> He's got it. In the midst of the Old Testament showing the character of God who will never compromise His justice, we see flashes as images of grace throughout. Why did God pardon Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned? He took an animal and He killed it and He took the skin and He clothed them. There was blood. Did the blood forgive them? No, the blood was a picture of what was to come. Why in the world, why in the world in your Bible uh, did the Passover, why were the, the children of Israel spared the Passover and the judgment of the angel coming through? Because they took a lamb, they took its blood, and they painted it on the doorpost, right? Did that blood take away their sin? No, it was a picture of what was coming. Hang with me. Isaiah says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon there's that word again. How, Isaiah? How can God be just? How can He be holy? How can He remain the just God and still pardon the guilty? Isaiah answers the question. 53, there is one coming who will not just announce the judgment to come. Jeremiah announced the judgment to come. The second Jeremiah came and announced the judgment to come and then took your judgment upon himself. And Jeremiah said there's one, or Isaiah said there was one coming. He will be despised and forsaken among men. Surely our griefs he himself bore, he, our sorrows he carried. Verse 5, Isaiah 53, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourgings we are healed. In other words, there is one coming who will absorb the wrath and the justice of God so that in that just work of Christ bearing the sins of the world, God then can justly pardon you and forgive you. And the Bible answers the question, how can God pardon and be just in his pardon? Because he steps off his bench, takes off his royal robe, puts on flesh, and pronounces the judgment, and then takes it on himself. That's the gospel. That's the message of the Bible. That's why Jeremiah in Jeremiah 23 says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will raise his king and act wisely and do justly. And in those days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell security. securely. God keeps his promise, and the Messiah is coming. And the people of Israel were to look ahead and trust God for the Messiah, but they rejected it. We now are to look back and see the Messiah and cling to Him and Him only. And here is the question. Now, we're going to close on this. In fact, I'm going to ask our team to come on up and just begin to play. We're going to enter into a time of response. Here is the eternal question for everyone in this room this morning. You ready? The question from the book of Jeremiah that every single person on the planet must answer at one time is this. God, why would you pardon me? Now listen. The question for you, because we are the children of Judah. We are the guilty ones. The Bible has no problem with saying we are under the sentence of death. We have chosen our own way. We have gone our own way. We are under the same sentence as the children of Judah. The question is this, Lord, how, why would you ever pardon me? Why would God ever release and forgive you? Now listen. 
If your answer is something like this, I'm not as bad as those guys, then you don't understand the message of the Bible. If your answer is something like this, you begin listing a set of accomplishments or what you have done for Him. I don't care what it is. And you're, you're quoting your resume before God and somehow bargaining with God to ransom you, to release you. You don't understand the message of the Bible. The question of the Bible is how can God, how can God pardon the guilty And there's one answer. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if any other answer comes to your mind, and you are not resting in the finished work of Christ completely, you have been deceived. And you are trusting a false Savior. Religion, yourself, whatever you want to call it. The message of the Bible is God will pardon the guilty because He has bore your punishment in Himself in Christ. That is why Jeremiah is there. Why should I pardon you? Is your answer Jesus? I'm going to ask you to bow your head very quickly. Right there where you're seated, just you alone. No, our time's up. We're almost finished. How do you answer that question? In whom is your pardon? Why would God release you? Why would He forgive you? One answer. Jesus. And sitting right there this morning, if your answer is anything other than Christ, your response today is to repent and to turn and to receive by faith the Savior, Christ right there in your seat call out to him in faith Jesus Lord God Savior I need you if you're here and you are a believer and you know Christ and you are resting in him your response this morning is to rejoice that there is no judgment headed your way there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus you have been pardoned you have been released go live as one set free Father, we love you. God, I ask you to do business with our hearts. Lord, lead us to see Christ, the one who took our our sin and gives us pardon that you can be just and forgive and redeem and restore. Would you just take a minute and continue to do business with God there and our team will lead us as we sing.